0: Sometimes it feels we're inside out, and I've made some poor decisions lately. It's coming in air quotes. It's used with the scent of
1: poppy. Films we commit to memory. Crossing the felt roads, watching from home on my TV, looking at all my can't see. They tell me I view obsessively. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com and more podcasts presented by Obsessive Viewer at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. And for our uh, for a full-length version of our theme song, check out As Good As It Gets. Uh, their song is A Little Mad Sometimes, the theme from The Obsessive Viewer podcast. Uh, that's at, uh, I don't have their link, oh my god. Um, anyway where you stream music, basically. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. And if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash viewer, where at the $1 a month level, you get access to tons of B-roll episodes and just us shooting the breeze, talking about... Oh uh movies that we love and have seen in the theater and disputes with uh um apartment complexes and uh uh very poor um inning, um with customer service people um yeah anyway um and at the two dollar month level you get that plus t v review and reaction episodes book reactions and immediate reaction episodes, reviews of movies, <laughs> and everything. Uh, $5, you get all of that, plus movie commentary tracks. And at $10, you get everything I just said, plus early access to podcast episodes and previously unreleased content. Again, that's at patreon.com slash viewer. I'm your host, the aforementioned, or I guess, yeah, did I already say that? No, I didn't. <laughs> I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and with me today is my partner in podcasting crime tiny (laughs) i admit
0: to nothing we commit no crimes oh good nice podcaster otherwise
1: yes yes uh okay well the body is in the trunk um so uh i was gonna bring this up on patreon actually but have you heard about this like escaped convict thing
0: um, no, I saw you shared the story on the social medias, but I didn't yeah. uh, have a chance to read it yet. Yeah. It's
1: kind of wild. In like one of the first, actually, your dad commented this, but one of the first comments I saw about it was like, "Well, it looks like Netflix has their new their next documentary <laughs> lined up." Because um, it's a wild story. It's like this, uh, this guy who was being held at a jail um he he was incarcerated for like stabbing someone i think in like 2015 and a bunch of other things he was he was either serving or i think he was facing uh, i don't know so so 2015 he was incarcerated and then in 2020 he confessed to a murder i think and so he was facing those charges that he was facing 75 years in prison for that and then also in 2020 he like almost like he was caught trying to escape or something like he had a shiv or something. I don't know. Anyway, this is not a true crime podcast podcast, but anyway, um, (laughs) he was at a jail in Florida or Alabama. Um, that, uh, awaiting like maybe not trial, but maybe arraignment or something for those charges. I don't know what the deal was, but anyway, um, and then a, the, like, uh, um, Assistant Director of Corrections for that jail uh signed him out to take him for a mental health evaluation, Um and they never arrived. <laughs> and her patrol car was found in a shopping center parking lot, um, abandoned, and there's a manhunt for them now. And the thing is that, like, as more information comes out, it is more and more clear that she assisted him. And, like, this was... Like she she helped him escape. Um yeah. it's wild, man. Like she like she had put in her retirement paperwork. She had just sold her house like a couple of weeks before this. Um her house was valued at like two hundred and five thousand dollars and she sold it for ninety five thousand. <laughs> oh uh, shit. Yeah. Um and like she bought a car that she stashed at the shopping center parking lot so that they could trade it uh, and everything. And now there's a manhunt for them. <laughs> and like like at first they were saying that they didn't know if she was being coerced or if she was she was a hostage or whatever. But then now as the more information comes out, they first they said that she and the inmate had a some sort of special relationship Um and then now it's like, it's probably like a romantic relationship or whatever. Like she'd given him like special treatment and he was getting like extra food and all of these amenities and stuff. And like, it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. I
0: was going to say, it sounds like love to me.
1: It sure does. It sure does. <laughs> um, so yeah. So that's interesting. Um, Jeez. Yeah. But, yeah, so we'll cover that when it hits Netflix, like a documentary about it. <laughs> right. um Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, how are you doing, Tiny? How's it going? <laughs> I'm good. I am good. bueno. Nice. Anything new with you?
0: Mm, no, just getting, getting uh, in spring gear. Nice. Um, getting the yard all taken care of mm-hmm. and set up and everything.
1: Yeah. Nice. Are you excited for the race?
0: Very, very much yes. so, yes. For yeah.
1: those of us who don't live on the west side of Indianapolis anymore, um, or ever, <laughs> uh, the race of the Indy 500, um, yeah, yeah, so they had the first,
0: um, they had the first open test of the season on, uh, was that like two weeks ago? That was like two weeks ago tomorrow, oh, wow. um, yeah, and ironically, um, they resurfaced like one of the pit exit lanes or entrance lanes. I think it was both of those. And they put some kind of like sealer on it and mm-hmm. like the cars didn't react well to it. So there Ooh. were like, there were like four wrecks. Oh, jeez, um, Including Elio Castroneves. Oh no. Who, yeah. And he was in the car, the same very exact same car that he won his fourth Indy 500 in last year.
1: Jeez. Um
0: yeah the video was pretty heartbreaking because he like mm-hmm. they pulled him out of the car and he was like he had his head in his hands and he was like crying oh, um, wow. and wow they, they interviewed him afterwards because the the team that he's on is a, is a very small kind of an upstart team mm-hmm. um and so they don't like they don't get new cars every year they have to kind of build you know work with what they had last year oh, and dang. uh he was like that's the car that's my baby like i won yeah. i won my fourth Five Hundred and that thing. He was like i when i retire i want to have that car and like keep God. it in my collection and sleep with it sometimes and stuff like that <laughs> so um it was actually kind of a, a bit of a dream you know testing isn't necessarily all that interesting but it was mm. uh a bit dramatic for that reason so yeah Yeah. is it anyways i don't want to bog down the podcast with all that talk but yeah it was uh, we were we were watching it on peacock it was really Mm. fun
1: nice peacock is a streaming service which is going to have uh in a couple of weeks the new firestarter movie um oh yeah it is yeah and on on tower junkies we made the we like we came to the decision on tower junkies like oh we'll do Carrie, and then (laughs) <laughs> uh, the De Palma carry movie, the TV uh, miniseries carry uh thing, and then the 2013 carry movie, and then we'll do Firestarter. <laughs> so, look forward yeah. to us covering the Blumhouse Firestarter next year, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, right. yeah, we'll see. But, are you excited for Firestarter at all? Um,
0: I don't know. It doesn't look bad by any means, but um I'm not overly excited for it, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I'm We'll see. We'll see.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: We'll see. As always, it is a big year for Stephen King and everything. In terms of movies, since this is obsessive viewer, like Firestarter is coming out this month and then in September, the new Salem's Lot movie is coming out, so that's exciting. Um yeah, so we'll see. Yeah. Um Yeah, but today on the podcast Tiny, we are doing an extended potpourri. Are you excited? I am. Nice. Me me too, despite yawning into the microphone. Um, (laughs) For those first-time listeners, uh, we don't usually start the podcast with talking about true crime and auto racing, but (laughs) um, potpourri is the section of the podcast where we basically kind of run down some stuff we've watched lately, kind of a loose format, kind of, or, or uh, the potpourri section on a normal episode is us basically ending the episode with a brief talk about some stuff we've watched. So extended potpourri, occasionally we do full-length episodes where we just do potpourri, where we go back and forth talking about um, talking about movies or TV shows that we've watched recently and everything. Um, so it's a good way to kind of clear the cache of... Titles that we've watched lately in between recording um, episodes of the podcast. So um, we both have like uh, like four four titles each. I think uh, that Mm -hmm. we are going to be talking about separately and together. But um, but um, Tiny, I kind of have a big um, a big title. To talk about first. Do you mind if I run point and talk about the first one on my list and then we can go to you? Go for it, man. Nice. Okay, thank God. Okay. Um, so uh two nights ago, Monday, I had the pleasure of going to a press screening of Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness. Um
0: oh, so, shit, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was this past Monday. Um, I'm going to have a review on the website probably, uh, by the time, by the time this episode is on the main feed, hopefully. But, um, yeah. So Dr. Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. This was a movie that I was very much looking forward to as a fan of the MCU and as a fan of like some of the stuff that they've done on Disney plus, um, recently, like I haven't watched Hawkeye or moon night or, um, I think there's one other that I haven't watched, but I have watched like WandaVision and Loki and Falcon and the winter soldier. Um, tiny, have you watched any of the Disney plus shows?
0: I've watched, um, all of them. I've watched, yeah, oh, uh, nice. Hawkeye, Loki and, uh, Falcon and the winter soldier. Yeah. I watched all
1: of them. Oh, nice. And WandaVision.
0: And Wandavision, yeah.
1: Nice. Uh how would you just off the cuff, how would you rank them? Like what's your favorite? And
0: mm, I'd say probably Wandavision's my favorite. Nice. Um with Hawkeye in a close second. Um nice. I feel like uh Loki was really good too, but I feel like yeah. um the one that not that it was bad, but the Falcon and the Winter Soldier was a little I don't know if I want to say uninspired, or especially considering, I don't know the weight of Captain America and yeah. what that entail, you know, passing the mantle on to a new person. Um, I thought that was pretty. That should have had a little bit more substance to it. I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, 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 it wasn't bad by any stretch, and, and I think all of them have been pretty, pretty fun and pretty satisfying.
1: Nice. I I agree. Like I said, I haven't watched Hawkeye. Oh, what if is the other one. Oh I haven't watched that. Um, I have not watched yeah. that. Me neither. Um and Moon Moon Knight, Oh my god. I am so freaking sorry. Moon Knight is the other one that I haven't watched. It just finished it up finished up this uh, this week actually tonight was the season finale. But Loki and WandaVision were two shows that I was very much into on that. I actually did Patreon recordings for each episode of those shows as well as Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um and I'm going to do that for Hawkeye and Moon Knight uh at some point. But um Loki and WandaVision were two that I was very um interested in because WandaVision was super weird, played with a lot of like serious themes like um Wanda's grief and like, everything in the aftermath of Endgame. And Loki was amazing to me because it felt like it blew the doors wide open for the MCU going forward because it has that kind of time travel, like, alternate universe, multiverse kind of thing that was a guiding force throughout the entire run of that show. And even kind of, like, the end of Loki was what I felt was like a big um, harbinger for what's to come in the MCU. And I was very excited about that. And so having said that, like going into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I was extremely excited because it's in the title, Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> like this, this uh-huh. movie, like I felt like, oh, this is going to be like the movie that, really really sets the sets the stage for the mcu going forward because we had uh end game just completely end the infinity saga and so now we have what i'm thinking is like the multiverse saga which is mm-hmm. insane to me and it sounds just so interesting and cool um and that reminds me did you watch eternals the movie did, we, did you go to the, we the theater? We yeah, did, we did yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't remember much of anything about it. Like, I just don't, like, it doesn't really rank yeah. with me.
0: I don't think we really talked about it on the podcast either.
1: I don't think so either. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it just kind of, I don't know. So like that, I, that's neither here nor there. So Multiverse of Madness. First of all, I will say I really, really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a lot of fun and it did some really interesting things. And what's what's chief among them in terms of what's interesting, and I'm I'm curious what you'll think about this, Tiny, because I know how you feel about this particular filmmaker, but Sam Raimi directed Multiverse of Madness. And oh. like after after Spider-Man No Way Home, which you know brought back some characters from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Um after that like I went and I rewatched Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. And like I just found like I I love those first two movies. In particular Spider-Man 2 I think is just amazing. Like I think that that is an incredible movie. Um Spider-Man 3 obviously has a multitude of problems and in my opinion is not good. <laughs> um <laughs> But having those movies fresh in my mind and then going into Sam Raimi directing Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I just, I like, I had this overwhelming feeling that I was like, I, I really missed Sam Raimi doing a comic book action movie, like a comic book blockbuster movie. Like there's a certain like style that he has with like, like one of the first big set pieces is this um the sequence where Doctor Strange is battling something in New York and like just the way that the way the camera moves and the way that it has like this fluid motion through like the city streets and the way it passes through like crowds of people and as they're reacting to what's happening like it is very much in the in the same vein as the way that Raimi shot Spider-Man and Spider Man 2 and Spider Man 3. Um, it has that like appeal of like being somewhat of like a comic book panel sort of thing. Like the the shots of of bystanders just seeing it in like a close up of their faces and like screaming or or shocked and everything. Like experiencing that for the first time in like in a, in a well done movie since 2004 (laughs) um, or in any movie like that Sam Raimi did for comic book movies in 2007, I think is Spider-Man three like experiencing that in 2022 was just really interesting. And it just made me feel like not necessarily nostalgic, but it just made me feel like I want more of this. Like I just want more of this feeling. Um, So that was just really cool and interesting and then the movie goes into some very interesting places and it does a thing that like i was afraid i i was afraid that this was going to be just an easter egg love fest or like a showcase of like i was worried that this was going to be like oh marvel being like these are all of the marvel characters we have rights to so we're going to throw everything at them like we're going to show like all of these multi all this multiverse all of these different universes and everything just for fan service and i'm so glad that that wasn't the case like the easter eggs that are in the movie are like there's a certain amount of restraint that the Mar- that marvel studios has has had in this and it's more about just creating this idea of the multiverse in the context of the MCU and I think that that's really smart because it's it's like it's they're taking these stepping stone things like they're they're stepping toward it um kind of not subtly but slowly building up toward like what I'm thinking is going to be a multiverse like storyline because we had like WandaVision has like this Alt, not alternate reality, but this created reality, and like it's not a secret that Wanda is in the movie, um, so she's she's a pretty big part of the movie, and and then Loki has like the multiverse in a in a different way, and then now we have Doctor Strange kind of traversing the multiverse, so like I feel like it's just building very slowly, building toward like the big multiverse kind of storyline in the MCU, and I think that's just really cool and. Um, it's done really well. I really like Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. Um, and then I'll stop rambling, but the final thing is that as the movie progresses, it gets more and more into kind of somewhat horrific kind of things. And there is, there are, there are several moments where I'm like, this is just, this is just so freaking cool. Like in terms (laughs) of some, some things that happen And like the darkness of that is like, like at the beginning of the movie, I was like, oh yeah, this is what Sam Raimi is like when he does a comic book movie. And then throughout the course of the movie, I thought, oh, oh yeah, Sam Raimi does all kinds of things in movies. (laughs) Like, like he does, like I, like I was like, oh yeah, he made the evil dead. He made drag me to hell. He made, did he, he did drag me to hell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's done like horror, and like he's implementing that into this, uh, to an extent. So, it was just it was really cool. I really really enjoyed it. Um,
0: that's awesome. I kind of forgot slash didn't know that Sam Raimi directed it. Um, oh yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm he's not necessarily my cup of tea. Right. Um, I never got into the Evil Dead movies, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't care as much for the Spider Man. Trilogy he did. I haven't watched it in so long, though. I feel like I need to give it another shot. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad you liked it. I um, I hope it's. I hope the MCU can transition into, you know, something new. That's, I, I think it's going to be borderline impossible for them to capture the 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 magic of the Infinity series, if you will, or that that oh, yeah. phase or storyline. I think that's borderline impossible. But just to have something similar or something good you know I I think I think they can pull it off but um it sounds like you maybe have a um uh found their thread that they're going for and I I hope yeah. that's true I hope that I hope they find find a way to do that
1: I hope so as well and I'm honestly I'm really curious what what you'll think of this movie to be honest <laughs> like I I, okay. I I'm very curious um and I'm very curious what Mike will think of it. He's seeing it this week. I asked him, I was like, hey, if you want to, you know, talk about it on the podcast, you know, because uh, mm-hmm. I'm very, very eager to see what he thinks of it. Um, cool. Yeah. So maybe we'll have an episode with him. We'll we'll see. But uh, but yeah, but I was I was very impressed. Um, looking forward to what's to come with the MCU. Sweet. Yeah. So that's my first potpourri. And uh, Tiny, what are you going to bring to the proverbial table?
0: Well, the first major title I wanted to talk, the major thing I wanted to talk to was um, a TV series that I recently caught up on. Uh, It's HBO's Euphoria. Nice. And um, the show really made me think a lot. Um, It came out in 2019, and then I think they took took some time off for COVID. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then so the second season, I think, just finished. Um, let me, I think it just finished in the last month or so, maybe. Um, hang on, I'm trying to look in Mm -hmm. IMDb. Not used to looking at IMDb on a desktop. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, I know that they also had like a, (laughs) they had a first season and then they had like a COVID, not maybe not COVID special, but like they had a special episode that was like two characters talking. Um, that they shot during COVID, I think. Um, oh, okay. Yeah.
0: I'm not sure if I knew about that. But, oh, yeah. Um,
1: it's, um, it's Zendaya and someone else talking in a diner. Did you see that? Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think so. They probably put it in the second season. Yeah. Okay. I'm, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Um... But have you have you watched any of the show, Matt?
1: I I haven't. And uh and okay. yeah, the, the final episode of season two was February twenty seventh of this year. Um okay. I haven't I been thought able... it was... Okay. Yeah. But it, it's very high on my list. Um Okay. Yeah.
0: I kind of um I don't want to say avoided it, but I didn't it didn't pique my interest um because uh, at at its base it is a teen drama. Okay. So I was like, you know, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to relate to that. You know, uh, Gen, gen Z teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I can really relate to that and it, but I had heard good things about it and I, I feel like it's, um, it's been embraced by that generation and they mm-hmm. tout it loudly. So I was like, yeah, I'm not sure if that's really going to be for me, but, um, I heard other people start saying how good it, good it was and, um, I just decided to go ahead and give it a shot and give it a try and see what it was like. And, um, mm-hmm. I'm very blown away by it. Nice. To call it a teen drama is a huge understatement. It is so much more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, uh, it manages to make a statement and, and, um, examine modern social issues, um, without preaching in the slightest. Um, oh, nice. it it weaves these messages into the story entirely organically. And Mm -hmm. that's really hard to do. Um, But they pulled it off incredibly well on the show. And, you know, I, I, it has me thinking a lot about um, kind of generation gaps and how, um, how generations relate, relate to each other. And Mm -hmm. um, I, I have always been resistant to the idea of, older generations always being like oh kids these days you know when i was yeah. a kid we didn't do this shit and uh the you know when we were when we were coming of age it was all these damn millennials are so horrible and <laughs> yeah. uh, entitled and all this shit they're not having kids and they're just giving us so much shit and i was always like you know what i think that's bullshit and i, I feel like every every older generation falls into that trope and uh it's it's <sighs> that's what leads me to believe it's not, it has nothing to do with the actual characteristics of the generations. It has to do with <laughs> you're just getting older and you're getting more curmudgeonly or crotchety or whatever, yeah. whatever phrase you want to use. Um, but um, the the reason why the show really made me examine that or kind of reinforced that for me is that um, going into the show, I was worried about being able to find any kind of connection to it or, you know, being, um mm-hmm feeling like an outsider um feeling old <laughs> really. right um but it it really made me think i related i related to it not because I've had similar experiences because mm-hmm. so many of these kids in the show just have kind of horrible lives or they go through horrible things mm-hmm. um, really intense trauma um that I've never experienced um but what I found so fascinating is I think back to how I was and all my friends and peers were in high school. And mm-hmm. I, I think back to if we had all had phones in our pockets and social <laughs> media 247, 365, and the same political divide that we have now, all of the yeah. um, uh, cultural aspects and changes that are different between when we, between when we were teenagers and what teenagers go through now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I tried to examine it and, and, and think of it through that filter. And, you know, I think if, if we had had all these things when we were teenagers, we might mm-hmm. be just as fucked up and doing just as crazy <laughs>
1: shit
0: as they're doing in this show. Yeah. Um, because Zendaya's character, she's the main character and she's, um, she is a, uh, bad drug addict. I mean, she's, um, ha- has a very serious drug addiction.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and there's other, um, uh, some of their other characters, like they've, they've lost parents. Um, they're kind of raising themselves. Their parents are just frankly terrible people and aren't raising them, uh, really. Um, and, and, and again, mm-hmm. I just, I, i you know, that, that's, that's hard enough and dramatic enough, to grow up that way. But then you factor in all these other, just the general, um the general culture of being a teenager, it's, mm-hmm. that makes it hard. And then you throw in social media, you throw in, um uh, it, you know, uh, p- political ideas and, and political divides and all those things and just cultural changes. And yeah, I, the, I understand why these kids act the way they do. I'll put it that way. And, and I, I was so shocked that I've, I reacted that way. Cause I was so prepared to just be like, man, <laughs> I can't relate to this. I'm not, I'm right. not saying I was going to, I'm not saying I was predisposed to not like the show or think it was a bad show or any of those sure. things, but I just, I, I thought there was going to be such a disconnect and it's actually quite the opposite.
1: Nice. Um,
0: and I'm, I'm just really blown away by it. I, I think um, especially the The whole technology part, the Mm -hmm. whole technology aspect, because it plays a part in every single episode. They're oh wow, constantly. I mean, it's again, it's not heavy handed. It's like um, these kids are just constantly texting and they're constantly looking at um, social media, which we all do, you know. Um, But again, we didn't uh, when we were fourteen. We didn't have that, right? Yeah, uh, it's really made me. I really. enjoyed and consumed the show through that filter and it's, it's made it um, really incredible uh, just to experience it that way. But nice. In, in addition to that, it is a damn good show. Yeah. Um, the acting and characters are just off the charts. Good. Um, I, my only reference for Zendaya um, as an actor have been like Dune, Spider-Man oh, yeah. and um, the greatest showman.
1: Oh, she was in that. Yeah, I've, like I'm not, I haven't seen it, but I, I have it. I yeah, I need I need to watch that.
0: It's it's a decent movie. I mm-hmm. I didn't love it. There's some okay. good music, but I it, it was okay. Um, she's barely in Dune, mm-hmm. and so really, it's just Spider Man. Her playing MJ and Spider Man is my really only real reference for Zendaya. And yeah. I by no stretch did I think she was a bad actor, but I right. I wasn't. I, I never was impressed by her. I was never like. Oh, Zendaya's great. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was like, yeah, she's fine. Yeah. Um,
1: judging from what you've seen her and you didn't see what her full potential was or you didn't see her at her full potential.
0: Right. Um, and full potential is a great term for what she does on this show. She is fucking great. I'm really impressed with her as an actor. She's so damn good in this show. Um, and, uh, there's also some other great, great, great actors in there. Um, most notably, most notably is Hunter Schaefer okay. uh, had never, had never acted before. Oh, wow. She was um, an active a trans activist oh, uh, wow. several years ago when all those damn, uh, uh, what are they? Uh, the, the, bath- the bathroom issues were coming oh, up yeah. politically. She was an yeah. activist. And I want to say s- one of the Carolinas is where she's from. She like, um, became kind of famous basically for um, uh, going, going to the state house and fighting against the state law where, Mm -hmm. you know, some ridiculous law about you have to use the bathroom at your birth or some shit like that. One of those ridiculous things um, that was happening seven or eight years ago, whenever the hell that was. Um, Mm -hmm. And then she became a model and her um, agent was like, you should go try out for this show. And she did. And she is, I, I am, again, just amazed at how good she is, because you would have no nice. clue that she's not a professionally trained actor. She is damn good on the show. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, and they've, it's it, its interesting how I mentioned earlier that they don't, they're not heavy-handed and they're not obvious with their uh, messaging or anything mm-hmm. like that. But um, she is a trans person in real life, and her character is mm-hmm. trans. Mm-hmm. But the whole first episode, I had no clue. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, she's, she's pretty feminine, and, mm-hmm. and I think... I, I haven't really researched how she identifies or anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, what her pronouns are and stuff like that, but um, at the end of the last episode, there's a scene where she's just in her underwear, and it's like, oh, that's she's, she's trans. I had no clue. Oh. I didn't even know. But it, like, never comes up in the show. Like, no one has ever... It, it, well, it just almost never comes up like Mm -hmm. no one's ever like asking her the question. So how did you decide to transition or like what made you feel like you were actually a woman or what? I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. know those, that stuff never happens in the show. And it's like even the adults and the teachers and all like it is a hundred percent, not an issue that she is a trans person.
1: That's that's really refreshing and interesting. Yeah, And it's, and
0: again, it's, it's organic. It doesn't feel forced. It's not, it's not political. It's just, Mm -hmm. it just is. That, Um,
1: yeah. I don't want to get on a soapbox or anything, but that's something like I've talked about a lot on or uh, at some point in the podcast over the years and everything is that like I like I support, you know, LGBTQ all like trans rights, all of that. Like I'm in support of that, whatever makes you happy, you know, as long as right. it's legal and it's not, you know, harm harming other people um do your thing like it's it's all good. Um, right, but the thing that I struggle with, uh, <laughs> the thing that I struggle with as a white cis male um, <laughs> with podcasts, um, <laughs> is that I I kind of feel like as someone who loves media and loves like dissecting movies and TV and and everything and books and everything, the thing that I struggle with is like with that feeling of being supportive of like of of people whose lifestyles aren't the same as mine or anything when i see those lifestyles and those those experiences depicted on in a movie or tv show i like i'm i'm thrilled because it's a window into something i don't understand or i do not have the life experience or capability to understand what it's like to be like like people who have different experiences like that but mm-hmm that like what you kind of talked about is how sometimes that can be very uh, kind of aggressively political or too it, the, there's a there's a line there where my like I kind of feel and I'm I'm just very very I'm I'm walking on coals here um <laughs> I feel like certain pieces of art that depicts like things that are not, you know, everything else that's on, that's in media and everything get, sometimes there are certain, certain, certain things that get like propped up and celebrated because it's just very much like it's about that. And like more power to him. That's amazing. That's, that's great. But also oftentimes for me, it doesn't really gel with the art as, a as, as, someone who's watching and it, it feels more like a self-congratulatory kind of thing. And like, I want to like see the experience. I want to like know what it's like and everything. I don't want it to be like, oh, hey, this person, this person identifies this way and like, oh, it's great and, and everything. I wanted like, I want to like feel like, a, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining that right. But when I see things like even something like like uh like a uh, um like gay marriage in in a movie or show that is just like this is just how like hey yeah like a character saying like yeah my mom's think this or or my dad's think this and everything and that doesn't play a part in the in it or anything like that normalization of that is so refreshing to me and is is like that's exactly what i want to see and like i want to see more things like that, and I think that that kind of that like that's why I'm kind of struggling here because I kind of feel like I'm walking on eggshells because I don't want it to sound like I'm thinking like oh just don't be on our faces about it because obviously I'm not that person at all. <laughs> but like, I think that I know there's... exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's they're they're sort of doing a uh, the the, the writers or mm-hmm. actors filmmakers whoever are sort of doing a disservice to the cause. Mm by making it so inorganic and that's like um
1: oh you're talking about in those situations that i stumbled through talking about okay yes right
0: where someone's like oh you're gay in a show and it's like yeah don't people don't do that like that's not how that happens in conversation anymore like maybe 30 years ago but not anymore yeah um and and that's i know exactly what you mean they're they're Mm -hmm. they're um they're making it a it's a bit circus-like or uh, that maybe that's not the right way to say it, but it's sort of like they're putting them on display and saying like, look, we're being progressive. We have a gay character or we have a trans character.
1: Yes. It, that, I think that that is what the line is for me is that there is, there is, there are certain, there are certain things. I can't really think of anything off the top of my head, but there are tons of examples of this out there, but there are certain like shows and movies that will come out to kind of capitalize on the political divide of that or the political statement of that. And it's, it's more like this is the problem that I have is that like, I know that like Roger Ebert said that movies are empathy machines, like movies are an engine for empathy so that you can experience other people's lives and, and what they go through and everything. And To have like, you know, non-cis white male experiences in a movie like that is that is amazing. That's exactly what I want. That's I want to be exposed to other cultures, other lifestyles, other other life experiences and everything. That's great. But there is a certain contingent of art and media that that takes those lifestyles, those experiences, those cultures and everything and creates a... Like, packages are specifically to cater to not even, like, people in that group, but people who are supportive of that group so that they can be like, oh, this is... Like, oh, this is great. I love this movie because I... I support these rights and everything and it's more like okay Mm. yeah but you know the art direction could have been a little bit better (laughs) the script could have been a little tighter (laughs) they could have been a little more subtle they could have done this the lighting and like like there's I don't know there's I don't know I feel like I'm struggling I feel like I'm losing my mind. Um no
0: I, I think I know what you're saying too. It's kind of okay. like they're it's kind of like the filmmakers, the studios, mm-hmm. distributors whoever are kind of virtue signaling through their art.
1: Yes. Yes. And it's
0: it's it is a form of pandering mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's sort of exploitative in a yeah. way. And uh while their intentions are good, I think mm. it's it's a form of um it's it's a I don't know if I want to call it disrespectful mm-hmm. because again I don't think it is because again their intentions are good, but I think it's um it's it's a little bit um what's the word? kind of kind of fake and kind of um yeah. you can see you can see right through it. It's yeah. it's obvious, right? It's not yeah. No. It's, it's like a, it's doing it for for your own benefit. Mm. Like you're also benefiting the cause, but yeah, you it's it's a little more selfish. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's kind of honestly, I think that I kind of feel like that in, in this to bring it back to Euphoria, um Sam Levinson, I think is the guy's name who yeah, who created the show?
0: Yeah, he and he's he writes and directs a lot of it too.
1: Yeah. He also did a movie that I saw in the theater that I I don't really have much memory of called Assassination Nation. That mm-hmm. kind of felt that way, it kind of felt like okay this is this is like in like this is this is a movie about like l g b t q characters, but it's it felt like it was like specifically for that audience, which is not a bad thing at all or anything, but it just felt like like okay, i don't like i and it maybe it's not even like the uh, i don't know i feel like i'm walking myself into a corner but like i feel like people who are prejudiced or complete dicks about this kind of thing um won't learn from it and i guess that's not really the point of it like that's not that's not on the creator to make something to sway other people's opinions or prejudices or anything but i don't know i i don't know i yeah I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm not familiar with Sam Levinson, but mm-hmm. um, I'm blown away by what he did, did with this show. I guess nice. it's semi-autobiographical. I think he... Oh, really? He, when he was a teenager, he struggled with um, drugs and or alcohol and had oh, wow. uh, pretty a hard, pretty hard go of it. I, I haven't looked into that that much. I don't know much about him, but I kind of heard that in passing. But um, hmm. yeah, de- definitely. I, I think everyone should watch this show because nice. I think... I think it's easy on the outside to look at it um as just a bunch of teenagers doing drugs and fucking each other but it's so <laughs> much more than that like there's a lot of sex in it and a lot of nudity but mm. um it just fe- again it feels organic and it feels right it it feel it makes sense it makes sense to me um the conflict the internal conflict of all the characters is just so perfect i mean it's it's really incredible um there's also um the uh, uh photography of it like the direct mm. that whoever dp is is fucking amazing um have
1: i've heard it's incredible in that sense yeah
0: yeah the lighting and everything um and just the, the filters uh they, they also employ um uh voiceovers because uh mm. zendaya's character her name is rue she's like the um, narrator of the whole show mm-hmm. and um, she breaks the fourth wall and stuff like that. And oh, it's, again, it, just, it feels so right. It doesn't, it's not, it's not ham at all. It is so, it just, it just feels like that's how this story is supposed to be told. Um, the last two episodes of, it was a two part episode uh, for the finale of the second season um, was one of the main characters puts on a play Mm-hmm. And so it sort of weaves the story of the show into the play because the play is about their lives. I think the play is actually called our lives. Maybe okay. Um, it's put on by Maude Maud Apatow's character.
1: I was going to ask, cause I saw her in the <clears throat> credits. Cause like, <clears throat> I've always thought that she, when she appeared in like her dad's movies and stuff, I always thought like, she's going to be like someone like, I, I felt like she was going to be, breaking out in in a big way mm-hmm. um as she got older it is how does she do
0: she does well and it's it's kind of unfortunate cuz her character is very much in the background um, oh, okay but she's supposed to be that way she's one of the most stable characters on the show oh. um, uh which is interesting cuz her sister on the show is one of the wildest ones mm-hmm. um but in, anyways, she she puts on this play. And so, again, the way that the story weaves in with the play, it's sometimes it's hard to tell whether or not you're watching the play or you're watching the episode. And the visuals of that are just fucking incredible. And, nice. Uh, yeah, I, I basically, I, I can't say enough good things about this show. It's really incredible. The music is also just next mm-hmm. level good. Um, it's uh, definitely, I think everyone should watch the show again. I was expecting a a generational or cultural divide, but yeah, it it has not had that effect on me at all. Um, yeah,
1: nice,
0: highly recommend it. Really, really good show.
1: That's awesome. That's Euphoria, and that is on HBO Max. Um, nice. Do you want me to go to my next one? Yes, sir. Okay. So this is interesting because I did not know that this was available to stream on HBO max. Um, I got it from the library actually. Yes, that's right guys. I'm literate. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, uh, it is the 2021, um, kind of indie kind of quarantine, uh, created uh movie language lessons. Um, Starring Mark Duplass and Natalie Morales. Natalie Morales also directed the movie and co-wrote it with uh, uh, with Mark Duplass. Um, it is a kind of it all kind of takes place over Zoom. Um, the plot summary: It's a it's a drama slash comedy. Uh, plot summary: Is a Spanish teacher and her student develop an unexpected friendship. So, language lessons kind of starts in this. It's kind of like that mumblecore kind of thing, um, with like like the like Mark Duplass and like people that he works with a lot. Kind um, of spearheaded. Sorry, but okay. So it begins with Mark Duplass. It, the story is that his husband has paid for him to have, I think it's ninety, um, Spanish languages, Spanish Spanish lessons over Zoom. So Natalie Morales is the Spanish teacher that teaches him over Zoom and each kind of like the movie is kind of separated into different segments that are like oh lesson 1 immersion lesson 2 vocabulary like like different kind of things that are titled on there but what's interesting about it and I just found it really really engaging and very just very smartly written and performed is that throughout the course of the movie You feel this bond, this like, this just platonic friendship bond form between these two characters as they sort of slowly get into the nitty gritty of each other's lives. And it is such an interesting, like, humanistic kind of drama that comes into play. Because early on in the movie, I won't give away what it is, but early on in the movie, like, I was kind of blown away by it because uh because one of the lessons starts with like a reveal of something like really big that happened and from there the movie just kind of goes into this just dramatic like like human connection kind of thing and as the movie goes on like you get this you get this like very naturalistic sense of like reservations that each each of them have like it's just these two people that are interacting with each other And on one hand, sometimes like the conversation gets a little too deep or the conversation gets a little bit uh, strays a little bit away from the teacher student kind of relationship. But it's so refreshing because it is a friendship movie. It is about like this friendship that grows between them and how they come to realize not it's not something as heavy as them needing each other per se, but it's something to the effect of them basically realizing like what they mean to each other. And it's so refreshing that it's just, it's, I mean, like I said, it's a platonic kind of thing. There's no like, I don't know. There's, there's no, um, there's, there's a certain level of sweetness that does not feel like it is dependent on any kind of manufactured drama or, or tension or anything like the tension is them trying to realize or, or, come to terms with what they mean to each other on a friendship level. Like one of them is very, very much becomes more closed off as they find themselves feeling more connected with this person that lives in a completely different place and has a completely different life that they only interact with each other through these language lessons. And I just felt like it was just an incredible drama and it just, it just felt very authentic and and raw. And I just, I, I loved it. I really did. Um I rated it on Letterboxd uh, a respectable 4 stars. Um okay. But yeah, I yeah, it's it's. I'll, I'll read like an excerpt of my review because I feel like I just kind of rambled that. But um, I particular, <laughs> I particularly love the way the film explores both characters' most intense vulnerabilities and showcases how they react to the sudden bond that forms between them. There's no antagonist or contrived conflict. It's simply two people working through things together and separately, and forming something deeper than the professional relationship that brought them together in the first place. And like the power of that bond that forms is so just so electric and like to add to the fact or or to add to my love of this movie um that it, the fact that it's a quarantine movie like this was made during like lockdown and everything like the movies that i feel like i feel like that could be such a gimmick um <laughs>
0: yeah right
1: and and like a disaster but like this is just this is a really really strong uh a really strong movie um yeah and and, in sounds
0: sounds really good i wasn't familiar with it at all um
1: yeah it's uh yeah it's called language lessons it's on hbo max and at your local library um Mm -hmm. yeah
0: do you know uh is this natalie morales's uh directorial debut
1: I don't know if it's her debut because she also directed let me check and see. But um the movie I think this this may I don't know if this came before or after that, but um Plan B that's on um Hulu, which I saw like half of and I need to go back and watch all of it. I really liked it. It's kind of um not sex comedy, but it's a um Teen comedy, teen coming of age comedy, kind of in the vein of like Book Smart or um, uh, uh, Super Bad. Um, okay, this was so Language Lessons was her first, her directorial debut on a feature, and then Plan B was her follow up. They, they both were, I think, well, Language Lessons, I think, came out and was made in 2000 and then Plan B came out in 2001 2021. Um she previously directed a couple of episodes of the uh, HBO anthology show Room 104 and there's uh, like a couple of short films um and a couple of episodes <laughs> of TV. So yeah, okay. but I'm I'm looking forward to more of her work. I like I, al- I already enjoyed her in uh like Parks and Rec and some TV stuff that I'd seen her in. And, and this just makes me very excited for her career going forward because I think that she, uh, she's she got some talent behind yeah. the, behind the camera as well as in front of. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds really good. Yeah, I recommend it. Um, So, Tiny, what do you want to bring up next? Do you want to kind of start to kind of wind down a little bit? Um, yeah, I was going
0: to say that the, the main thing I wanted to talk about was Euphoria. So the mm-hmm. um, my other entries I'll be pretty brief on.
1: Okay.
0: Um, But my, the next one I was interesting to bring up uh, because I'm not super thrilled with it is uh, also an HBO Max series called The Gilded Age that came out.
1: Yeah, I know nothing about this.
0: Yeah, it is the latest series from uh, Julian Fellows who is famous for Downton Abbey on oh. PBS. Yeah, um so you know Downton Abbey which I thought was a fantastic show mm. um had these incredible themes of kind of the 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 dying um uh the dying ideas of uh you know lordship and uh, monarchy and things like that at the beginning of the 20th century and the whole uh, class dynamics um, that go back for, you know, millennia in England. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that stuff was so, so well crafted on that show. Mm-hmm. And the Gilded Age tries to go for the same sort of thematic thing, I guess. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's set in New York city in the 1880s. Um, okay. yeah. And it, it, it has this dynamic of, um, you know, the, the United States is famous for not having a, an aristocracy, you know, not, not having a, um, royal class, right? That's not, not something we've ever had. This is a, we we live in a meritocracy, you know, you make your own way kind of thing. Um, But for a long time, the United States, you know, that, that was true, but um, the, the sort of high-class families wouldn't really accept you into society uh, if you were, you know, new money, if you think about, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, like Titanic, you know, the, the, the Astors and the, the, um, other families, the kind of aristocratic class that were on the Titanic sort of looked yeah. down on, uh, uh, what was her name? Molly, uh, Kathy Bates character. Um, the
1: unsinkable Molly Brown.
0: Molly Brown. There you go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that it's, it's sort of that dynamic of, you know, like the, the Astor family is actually in the show
1: Okay.
0: and, um, there's a new, a new family, a railroad tycoon family, um, uh, that moves into upper. I don't even know what I don't know my boroughs or my geography of New York very well. But in 1880s, it's the it's the street in the neighborhood where all of those families live who are part of society. Okay. And this new the Russell family, they're some kind of railroad tycoon. They they uh, move in across the street, and they're richer than everyone else, um, but they're not accepted into society because they're hmm their new money or they're like the new family and it's it's about that dynamic um it's not uninteresting there's some good acting there's some good characters um good cast but uh i I feel like the underlying tension is just not there um
1: okay
0: down nabby had you know they had World War one mm-hmm. and and all of these uh, you know the the Russian Revolution and all of all of this political upheaval that changed the mm-hmm. world for decade for a century essentially um, and 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 then those social underpinnings and those class ideas um were shook shooken up and, and that was a big deal in England for a long time. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, we, it's a little hard for us to understand here in the U S, but it, it just doesn't, what these characters are going through just does not feel anywhere near as uh, significant as, as what happened in that show. It just feels because it's essentially like Elon Musk moving next door to uh, Jeff Bezos and Jeff Bezos yeah. treats him like shit. Like, I don't give it like this dude's <laughs> okay. a billionaire. I don't, you know, it's, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't get on board with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's again, it's not a bad show by any stretch. Um, there's, there's a lot of good things about it, but I think that I was so fascinated with Down Abbey. Um, yeah. But I, this, I, I was not fascinated with it. And I think it's, um, you know, Down Abbey was a fictional family. The Granthams mm-hmm. were, to my knowledge anyways they were they were fictional um and uh, so so were the two the kind of the two main families in this are also fictional uh, okay. uh, i don't know you know they're not the ast the Astor family is in the show and there's some other famous family names in the show but they're kind of background characters almost so
1: mm-hmm.
0: um i don't that, that's not the issue I'm not, I'm not saying it it lacks um i don't think authenticity is the issue i think it's just it's just not as interesting of a dynamic frankly. Uh, I mean,
1: interesting.
0: Yeah, so I mean, it, it did get approved for a second season.
1: Yeah, I um, see that. Did you watch the entirety of the first season?
0: Yeah, we watched the whole thing.
1: Okay. You know. Huh.
0: It's yeah, it's it's I wish I was more enthusiastic about it cuz you know, and it's it's historical and uh I I really, really enjoy history, but I Yeah. I don't know for whatever reason I just could not the conflict was just so um unearned to me cuz i just i mean it's it's just not that interesting that this billionaire is upset cuz he and his wife can't be accepted into accepted by the other billionaires like it's just like i don't <laughs> pick your battles man Yeah, you know?
1: like i don't care i've got a mortgage like
0: <laughs> right right the, the the concept was done so much better in um uh i read the the um uh Alexander Hamilton book, um, oh,
1: yeah.
0: that the Hamilton musical is based on, um, you know, Alexander Hamilton kind of suffered through that where he wasn't really accepted as a gentleman
1: mm-hmm. in
0: society. And he was always an outsider cause he didn't come from some, you know, he was a, he was from ill breeding, he was a bastard mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and, and, and it was so much more interesting in that book and there's, you know, some of that's in the play as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it, it felt good. It, it was, it worked well in that book and play, but for whatever reason that the concept is just not really landing all that well in the gilded age. Um, yeah, that's how I feel about it. I mean, it's, it, I think it's worth a watch if someone's, you know, if, if any of our listeners were fans of, uh, Down Abbey, mm-hmm. um, go for it. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm not super thrilled with it. We'll, we'll keep watching it. My wife liked it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's okay.
1: Interesting. Yeah. You're not really selling it all that well. And I never watched Downton Abbey. It felt just very dry to me. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, and I will say that to your point about Alexander Hamilton, he was a bastard or orphan son of a whore and a Scotsman who was dropped in the <laughs> middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by Providence, providence and Squalor, uh, but how did he grow up to be a hero and a scholar? I had to Google the <laughs> lyrics to that. I'm so sorry. Anyway, um, yeah. my my apologies to the Hamilton estate. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, yeah, it just seemed it, like that whole thing just seems very not my speed, really. Um, yeah, that's fair. Kind of on a similar note. I haven't seen this, and I, I don't know if you have or not. But it's gotten like a lot of acclaim. But have you watched the show Succession?
0: No, but I've heard it's good. Okay.
1: Yeah, I've heard incredible things. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to uh, look into that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um. Do you want me to do one more and then you do one more and then we can call it a night if we would do like that Rapid works. Fire maybe? Okay. Yeah, that uh, works. Because I will say spoiler- there's one that I hope you bring up next because <laughs> I'm very curious <laughs> to talk to you about it. Um, but uh, I was going to talk about Memory, the new Liam Neeson movie, but I just posted a review today on ObsessiveViewer.com. You can read it. It's not that the The movie is not that good. Um, it's just, it's like, pardon the pun, but the movie Memory is forgettable. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's nice. very, there's a, it's not even like terrible. It's just... Yeah, it's just lame. Um, yeah. But what I will bring up, that I don't believe we've talked about it on the podcast, I think I did uh, a yeah, uh, Patreon immediate reaction. I don't actually know if I ever posted that one. But anyway, it is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Mm. Um, I really, I enjoyed this movie more than I think... Some of my colleagues in the IFGA did. Um, <laughs> it's Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal. Uh, in this action-packed comedy, Nicholas Cla- Cage plays Nick Cage, channeling his iconic characters as he's caught between a superfan and a CIA agent. Um, like I said, it's got Nicholas Cage and Pedro Pascal and Tiffany Haddish. Um, it's also got Neil Patrick Harris and... Oh my God. Why am I blinking on his name? Um, Ike Barinholtz. Um Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with this movie. It's very, it's, it's very much in that vein of like kind of meta comedy, self-referential uh kind of comedy. And it's playing up the, all the different kind of facades and personas of Nicolas Cage, but it does it with this reverence um toward him in this respect that i i feel like is a good balancing act for the movie because it is very is very i think one of the points of contention that some some of my friends in the IFJ had was that it's very much it it kind of feels in parts like a cookie cutter like studio comedy and i get that like i i agree with that wholeheartedly my perspective on that is that I kind of like Cookie Cutter Studio comedies honestly. <laughs> and <laughs> having like the meta aspect of Nicolas Cage playing Nicolas Cage who he's playing himself as someone who is struggling to get parts and he basically takes this takes this gig to perform at a millionaire or billionaire's uh birthday party uh because he's a big fan of Nicolas Cage. So there's a lot there's a, it's a very fun like buddy comedy thing and it does have that those like earmarks of like studio comedies that every like every R-rated studio comedy has to have a drug trip scene that's a big point of contention for me cuz it's in every freaking one of these things um <laughs> but i mean it kind of works pretty well in this one cuz <laughs> like it has that scene um but like part of it is they're working on their their workshopping how they would make a movie together it's it's a lot of fun i don't know i had fun with it um i won't say much more about it because i saw it a while ago and i don't really remember much about it but it's it was pretty fun it was enjoyable uh yeah the unbearable weight of massive talent it delivered what i expected it to and that's the that's the best thing i can say about it
0: um nice i'm definitely intrigued by it um I I wanted to ask you. I don't know if you remember this. This is a bit of a deep pull.
1: Okay. Probably
0: this was around the time that Bangkok Dangerous was coming out, the Nick Nick Cage movie. Okay. This was like two thousand eight, two thousand nine ish, something like that. Hmm. A mutual friend of ours who was in our brother's class, also mm-hmm. named Matt. Okay. Um, he at the time I don't know if he still is. At the time, his his he was a huge Nicolas Cage fan. That was his favorite actor. Okay. And he had the idea for a movie called Caged, where like Hmm. two, two super fans of Nick Cage, like have this crazy ass idea to like kidnap him and make a movie with him. And they're, they're fucking nuts and they go through with it and they end up kidnapping him. But it turns out that Nick Cage is even crazier than they are and, like, <laughs> is super, super into the idea of making a movie with him. And then they actually do it. And, like, um, oh, I, I remember him, like, I think we were getting drinks somewhere and he was mm-hmm. telling us about it. I was like, that sounds fucking amazing. I would watch the shit out of that movie. Was I and there I, when we? When I am we... almost 100% sure you were there. Okay. Because I think we, you oh. and I were talking about movies mm-hmm. and... And he he brought up Bangkok Dangerous, and we were like, "What? That movie looks dumb as shit." And he was yeah. like, "Dude, Nicolas Cage is the best thing ever." And he went into this diatribe, and I was like, "That is fucking brilliant. I, I want to see that yeah. movie."
1: Yeah. I'm trying. Okay, to to uh, to protect our sources. What's the last <laughs> initial of his name? Because I'm thinking. I. Of- oh,
0: oh, oh. His last name rhymes with a popular chip. Manufacturer.
1: yes i'm right there with you i was thinking of two completely different mats um okay. a w and nl an <laughs> oh, okay
0: no not neither the no not those guys no.
1: interesting okay yeah i don't remember that at all
0: oh man i will never forget that because i was like dude that movie sounds so damn good i want to see that
1: that does sound good there's a little bit of that type of thing in this movie yeah um but yeah wow
0: as soon as I saw the trailer for massive talent, I was like mm-hmm. going to message Matt and be like, dude, did you like slip your script to somebody? Cause
1: right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Good job. Good job. Uh, if he was involved with it, good job, Matt. Uh, yeah. Kudos to him. If Frito. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
0: Oh man. That's cool though. I do. I do want to see the movie. I think it looks funny. Um,
1: yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. It's, it's pretty fun. Yeah. I bet I will, yeah. Yeah, cool. it was good. Um, okay, do you want to round us out with your final extended potpourri segment, Tiny?
0: Yeah, again, this will be brief. I don't have a ton to say about it, um, just a few thoughts, but I watched The Adam Project on Netflix.
1: I was hoping you were going to say the other thing. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> it's okay. Um, so I, the only thing I want to mention about it is that I was shocked how much heart this movie had. Yeah. Um, I I was, I was expecting it to be another, like um, uh, whatever the hell that damn movie was with um, Ryan Reynolds and the rock and Gal Gadot. What was that called? Uh, Red notice.
1: Oh, red notice.
0: That was, I never uh, saw it. I heard terrible. One of them. It was awful. It was one of the most forgetful (laughs) movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, I think it was also directed um, by Sean Levy um i think i don't netflix and
1: think so because sean levy did um oh um free guy free guy yep and he's doing the next deadpool oh okay
0: yep okay cool um anyways um maybe it's ryan reynolds has some kind of deal going with netflix or something like that because he did uh, he's done a handful of movies anyways um I wasn't expecting hardly anything from the Adam Project, so maybe that's why it kind of surprised me. But um, the word that comes to mind is this movie just had a ton of heart. Um, mm-hmm. it's it's a pretty thematically, it's a relatively standard uh movie, you know, uh, kind of father son drama and um, you know, uh, sort of arrested development from a a grown man. Um, mm-hmm. but it has this this fun time travel aspect to it that that made it um g- gave it kind of some some uniqueness but um ultimately i was just really impressed and touched by the heart of the movie um mostly from the actor uh walker scobell who plays mm-hmm. the young uh young ryan reynolds um was doing he was channeling ryan reynolds without doing a ridiculous impression um, right which is tough to do um and uh, for a, uh, he's probably 12 years old or something uh Mm. 13 in this movie um really impressive for someone his age I I was really impressed with that and just his back and forth with Ryan Reynolds was so fun um um the movie has plenty of issues um Mm. the villains kind of shoehorned in um Mark Ruffalo's character is sort of tacked on in a way as well uh could have used a little more development it's 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 not a perfect movie it's got plenty of issues but i was just mainly impressed and and impressed with and touched by the the heart of the movie between kind of the two main characters um it was really fun and just i had a great time
1: with it nice i i watched the adam project back in march when it came out i actually wrote a review on the website obsessiveviewer.com um Mm -hmm. and i i i rated three stars i thought it was fine yeah yeah. Well, that was fun. Um, yeah. I, I saw some uh I can't remember, maybe it was I don't know, a friend of mine I think maybe put it in his review that um <laughs> and, uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something to the effect of like, oh, okay, well, now we have two smart ass Ryan Reynolds <laughs> in, the, in a movie. Um, <laughs> and like I felt like they handled that very well, but I can see how that can be very overbearing for some people yeah. who maybe don't Maybe don't really connect with his kind of wry, sarcastic wit kind of persona. That's fair. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Real quick, um, Mm -hmm. speaking of Netflix, are you at all interested? I don't think you've watched it. Are you at all interested in the Bridgerton series?
1: No, I keep hearing about it. And honestly, in my head, it kind of seems kind of like it it seems similar to like Downton Abbey, just not my cup of tea, not my kind of thing which could be prejudice right. of me but i don't know um have you watched it or i watched all of it oh, um wow.
0: i was going to bring it up but i kind of forgot about it or it, <laughs> it we finished it we watched the whole fucking second season in a weekend i'm pretty oh, sure wow uh we're, were those people with it it's mm. it's a very binge worthy show um it's just um uh, it's i'm trying to put my finger on it i think i think why people like it why i like it mm. is i i I, I don't care how it makes me sound. I'm a sucker for a good love love story, yeah, and um it's got multiple really good love stories, just plain and simple i mean they're they're nice. very- inc- incredibly dramatic um they're not particularly surprising, they're not okay. original <laughs> i mean it's it's it tends to be a little kind of like harlequiny mm. um Fabio on the cover of a paperback novel kind of <laughs> stuff, but the acting's really good. The writing's really good. And uh, there's mm. just some, some good character work in there. Um, and it's, it's kind of, it's just kind of a clever show, but it's, it's also, uh, it's, it's a little sappy and kind of, um, I don't know how I want to explain it, but sort of, just sort of like a Harlequin novel kind of thing okay. at, at times. And that can be off-putting to, um, especially men, but mm-hmm. just anyone in general. And it's, it is a straight up just about, it's about, um uh royal families fictitious royal families in England who are trying to get all their kids, just basically setting people up to get married that's that's oh, the whole okay. show i mean like, that's the whole show which the premise is fucking stupid, I'm sorry, but sure. it's like i I should not care. Like, I should not care because it's just dumb. It's like, oh, this (laughs) character, she's, we're going to, she's coming out this season and Mm -hmm. and like, it's, it's wedding season and we're going to get all these people together and courtship. And it's like, (laughs) this is fucking dumb. (laughs) It really, it really is dumb, but it's also pretty fascinating and just, it's just kind of fun. Um, Okay. It's it's a it's a it's a fun show, uh, you know. I, I, I'm sure almost every criticism of it that's out there is probably pretty valid. Sure. Um, well, I know it's
1: getting a lot of hype. Like people love it.
0: Most watched show on Netflix. Yep. Yeah, wow. I mean it's uh, yeah, and and it, I, I don't know. I'm not. Sure. I don't. I don't know that you would like it. I was just okay. curious if you had watched any of it, but nah. uh, I I I genuinely enjoy it. I I did not watch. So the first season came out and Paige was watching it and she was obsessed. And I was like, are you really, you're obsessed with this? <laughs> and then she was like, she's like, I think you'd like it. And I was like, whatever. And an episode or two. And I was like, okay, I want to keep watching this. I'm actually really into this. Okay. And here, here we are two years later. And it's, uh, I, wow. I genuinely enjoy the show
1: nice maybe yeah uh, i don't know Uh, my thing is that i am just bombarded with a lot of stuff that i want to watch and everything yeah and like i want (laughs) to i want to do more patreon recordings and stuff i finally finished my foundation season one episode reviews on patreon nice um and like that was fine i enjoyed the show and everything and then like now I'm thinking like, okay, I need to do Chapel and then I'm free to do whatever I want and I want to do the like the Marvel shows next and I like after, now that I finished Foundation, I have wanted to do like, maybe maybe I can do like a sci-fi like space show again, like the kind of, you know, and then I was like, well, Halo is playing right now. Halo is on uh. Paramount Plus, which I don't, I'm going to ask you if you've watched any of it. I know Ben said that it was good. Uh, my friend Evan hates the show. <laughs> okay. Me, coming to it, like I haven't watched it or anything, but I love Pablo Schre- Schreiber, Schreiber. Um yeah. And, but I also don't care about the Halo lore at all. Like, I even yeah. back when I was playing the games, I was like, this felt like such a hollow, like, uh, like, um, a hollow story that like I don't care about. <laughs> like, I'm not like, I don't care about it at all. Um, so have you watched any of it?
0: I'm very intrigued by it, but I have not watched any of okay. it. Okay, uh, I don't think we have our Paramount subscription anymore, so gotcha. that's that's I'd probably be watching it if it weren't for that. But okay, I, I I plan to watch it eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I may be sending you some information, um, okay, uh, with which you could use to sign in <laughs> to, oh, okay. on Plus. um, yeah, Sweet. if I can dig up my password, but anyway, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Would you, should I do episode reviews on Patreon for that? I mean, uh, would if you... you're looking for something to do. Yeah. Would you listen to them? Yeah. I'd give them a shot. Okay. Okay, I might do that then. Okay, okay. well, um, <laughs> stay tuned for that on Patreon, patreoncom Uh Do we want to <laughs> wrap up this episode, Tiny?
0: Yeah, that's all I got for uh, okay. pottery.
1: Awesome, awesome. Same here. Um, yeah, so you can find more of our stuff at obsessiveviewer.com. Follow us on Letterbox. We didn't uh, since we didn't say this at the top. Uh, follow us on follow me on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. Follow Tiny where can people find you on online tiny? Uh,
0: the best place to find me is letterboxd at obsessive tiny.
1: Yes. And I am at obsessive viewer on letterboxd and on, uh, Twitter and, uh, check out the Facebook pages for all of our stuff. Uh, obsessive viewer, uh, facebook.com slash obsessive viewer and, uh, facebook.com slash tower jerky and, uh, anthology is out there. So anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next time with something. I don't know. But uh, but thank you, Tiny. And uh, we'll we'll see you guys in the next episode. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Dating back to... February 2013. So in the lifespan of ObsessiveViewer.com up to this point, I have watched 2001 A Space Odyssey five times, which is pretty low in terms of amount of times. Okay. So I saw it once in 2013, once in 2016, twice in 2018, or three times in 2018. And I haven't watched it since. Wow, I need to. But here's the thing. Those five times every single time has been in a movie theater.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: wow. yeah. Like in, in, uh, in 2013, I saw it at the Toby at IMA or Newfields now. Um, yeah. And then in 2016 is when we saw it in 70 millimeter at, uh, the state museum IMAX, uh, which I believe was put on by Indie film fest. And then 2018 was when they did the uh, 50th anniversary, um, (laughs) uh, 50th anniversary like IMAX thing. That might have been, that honestly might have been Christopher Nolan's like restored version.
0: This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer.
1: Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.